Hello, everyone. I am back today with an author interview. I just finished chatting with Ashley Winstead, who, if you remember from last summer, I was obsessed with her book, In My Dreams I Hold a Knife, which was a thriller. And then she released this romance, Fool Me Once, which I'm also obsessed with. So I think it's safe to say I'm obsessed with Ashley Winstead and her books. And she has very, very quickly become one of my favorite authors. And we just got to chat about both books and really what goes into making her book so great, which I think there's so many aspects, but she writes some of the best characters I've read in a very long time. So we had a super fun chat. I could have talked to her all day. And yeah, I hope you guys enjoy it and make sure you check out her latest, which is The Romance Fool Me Once. I clutched my pearls the whole time I read this book. I'm like hooked. I was on the edge of my seat. I leaned forward. Five stars, baby. Welcome to Books in the City Pod. (laughs) Hey guys, welcome back to Books in the City. I'm Kayla. And I'm Ashley. So excited to have you here. I was just like gushing to Ashley before we started when I hit record because I have loved both of her books and I, before I even knew I could interview, I was like, there's so many things I need to talk to this author about. So, so happy to have you here today to chat about your latest Fool Me Once. Can you give our listeners the elevator pitch for it? Yes, absolutely. And thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. Um, So Fool Me Once is my romance debut and it is about a woman named Lee Stone who is given her the chance to accomplish essentially her professional dream, what she calls her Mount Everest of her career, um, which is essentially to pass a green energy bill in her home state of Texas, of all places. So Lee finally gets this opportunity. She's so excited. She thinks this is going to be the chance uh, where she gets to do something not only important with her life, but convince her bosses at the electric vehicle company she works or to give her a promotion to the head of public affairs, which would mean that she would get to do politics as her job. So she's so thrilled, except unfortunately for Lee, um, she does the thing that so many of us do, which is compartmentalize our personality between work us and personal life us. And while work Lee has always been a total boss, um, personally is she's a bit of a wild party girl to be completely honest and she has left a string of broken hearts um, of men's broken hearts behind her essentially at one point in her life she was burned so many times that she finally learned to be the one who burns as kind of a survival mechanism and the heart that she burned the most was also the man she loved the most her grad school boyfriend Ben Latterman so imagine Lee's surprise when she finds out that the one string attached to her chance to pass this green energy bill is that she's going to have to work with the governor's new policy director, who turns out to be none other than Ben Latterman. So that is the, the kind of setup. And, you know, wild shenanigans ensue. They have a complete underdog mission of getting this green energy bill passed in Texas in the first place. So not only do they have that challenge, but they have to, of course, navigate lots of mess. So our listeners and my followers know that I was obsessed with your debut. Um, I read it last summer in my dreams. I hold a knife, which was a thriller. And I remember watching you on an Instagram live. I can't remember whose it was. 
And you mentioned that you had this romance coming next. And I was like very intrigued. But when I was reading this, I was like, okay, I know she can pull off like murder really great. Like, what are we getting into here? And I am so, so impressed. Like, they are both so amazing. I'm so impressed that you're able to write so well for both genres. Can you just talk us through how this complete, like, opposite genre change happened between books? Yes. Um, thank you so much. That means the absolute world to me. Um, and, like, I didn't know if I could pull it off. So it's very, <laughs> it's very affirming um, to hear that you enjoyed both. I, so I, I am a, I think the most important thing is I am a huge just consumer of thrillers and romances um, and just a lot of different genres. So I just read so widely in, in all those genres. But I started writing um, Fool Me Once, which was originally titled Stoner. Um, I, started, oh my God. <laughs> I know that didn't fly with, with my publisher for obvious reasons, but I started writing it, um, actually while in my dreams, I hold a knife was out on sub and I needed a place to go in my own mind. That was a happy place that was full of sunshine and zaniness and, and love. And so I started writing stoner. I'm going to keep calling it stoner. Um, I started I writing that. it. Yes. And and then had had to put it aside once dreams like, like wonderfully sold and it wasn't until actually the start of the pandemic um in early 2020 when everything was so scary and it was there was a lot of uncertainty um and i needed a place to go again that was happy um, and i think so many people turn to romance reading romance consuming romance romance. And I did that too, very much. Like I, I needed that. And I picked Stoner back up and started working on it and just fell head over heels in love with this story, loved writing it. Um, I am a writer who, um, for better or worse, just becomes completely consumed with whatever I'm writing. So if I'm writing a thriller, I've got like, I'm a paranoid person. I, you know, I <laughs> jump when I hear footsteps behind me, but when I'm writing a romance, I'm laughing all the time. And so my poor husband who, you know, has to live with every version of me is always very fond of me writing romances. And he calls Fool Me Once my cackle book because he said that he would walk into rooms and just find me cracking up at my own jokes, which isn't <laughs> embarrassing. But um, so, yeah, just it was this wonderful place to go. And I didn't know if I would ever try to publish it. I just knew that it was what my soul needed at that time. I love that because I'm someone, I would read maybe like a few romance books a year if it was like the book club pick or something. And really in COVID and like the last year, it kind of became one of my go-tos. And I like balance out these like murdery books with like sunshine and rainbows and hate to love. And also it's so interesting to hear that like an author have that same journey that I know so many readers were having as well. Um, this is a very random question that just popped into my head as I was setting up for this interview. I can only think of one other author who's done thriller and romance, but she has a pen name mm -hmm. for like one genre. Is there like, what goes into that? And why did you decide to keep your name on like both books? I love that question because this was a like very hotly debated question for, for oh. me and my agent and even my publisher. Um, 
so we there was a point in time where i was brainstorming pen names you know oh my god like, do i want to be in this alternate version of myself um and it actually produced a lot of um very interesting questions about like how i saw myself but we won't go into that <laughs> but it's like if you could choose a name for yourself what would it be and oh why are you gravitating towards these anyway um so the idea is that you choose a pen name so that readers who are reading your you in one genre don't pick up um, your book in another genre and ex have the same expectations and so it doesn't like the the logic behind the pen name is is that people aren't going to you're not going to disappoint readers by not giving them the same thing um and my as my agent and i were talking about that I had this, I was just very convinced that that was no longer a thing. You know, if it ever was a thing, that it just was increasingly not something I needed to worry about because there's so much genre cross. Like you and me, we both pick up widely across genres. I think there, there are certainly readers out there who are like, you know what, thrillers only, and that's gonna be my deal or romance only. And so for those readers, you know, I'll just make it very clear that like <laughs> some of my books are romance and some are thrillers, but I just think that there's so much cross between the readership that it wasn't something I wanted to, I don't know. It, it was just like ended up being a decision that my agent and I were both convinced that this was a new world of reading. And mm -hmm. I was just going to stay Ashley Winstead for everything I wrote. I love that you did that because... I knew going into this, okay, obviously going to be very different from in my dreams, but at the same time, there's something like, like signature to you about your writing. And like, I felt like with your characters, things were so realistic. Like, um, with Lee, for example, you mentioned she kind of learns, like, I'm going to be the one to like leave before I get left. And I just found that to be like, I felt like I was reading about like a real person I would know. So um, transitioning into my next question, one of the biggest things for me with this book was that I lived through something that Lee did as well. So Lee's first heartbreak is from her dad. She finds out he was cheating on her mom. And I lived through this at like the same exact age that she did. And I, as I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is so, it was so interesting to me because I was like, I don't even like talk about this because it's just like a fact of my life. And it has affected every relationship in my life, like, and it probably will forever. And I was realizing, like, I mentioned I'm not the biggest romance reader, but I've never seen that come up in a romance book. And I think it's something so many, like, women specifically have to deal with later in life than if they've experienced that. And in a way for me, like, this felt like therapy, like watching Lee go through this. So, like, it's part of why I love the book so much. But can you just talk about this after my little monologue and uh, how it kind of like you built Lee's character around this like life-changing event. Yeah. I thank you so much for, I just like love hearing that and um, put a lot of myself in Lee. So it's, it's lovely to, um, to hear that. I, I all, you know, I always knew that Lee I think the thing that unites my books is I'm always going to write about, I almost hate calling them messy women because I feel like that in some way undermines the mm -hmm. fact that they're, mm -hmm. you know, just women who are in often, oftentimes like developing survival 
mechanisms to deal with a world that puts things in their laps. But um, a lot of people call them messy women, so I'll just go with that. With Lee, I, I think Lee is probably the character who's closest to me out of all the characters that I've written. And the, at her heart, um, and this is what I think romance does so well, is that romance understands that the love you choose and the love you receive throughout your life has roots in your relationship with yourself. Like it's all, mm -hmm. it's all connected. It's all a manifestation. And that relationship that you have with yourself is so shaped by your family and your early experiences. Um, and in, for Lee, this is her first and, and most epic heartbreak, as you mentioned, is having her heart broken by her father. And that, I mean, when someone who is supposed to love not just you, but your family and your mother unconditionally, and there's this contract that your family, you know, this implicit contract mm -hmm. to being a family, um, that the love is unconditional, to see that at an early age be broken and to understand the fragility of that and the precariousness of relationships that you thought were rock solid, um, that is something that has reverberations throughout the rest of your life. Like, how could it not? And I know I'm saying things that you know, mm -hmm. um, but I think I was just so drawn to writing and so determined to write a woman like Lee who carries this hurt inside of her, but has done so well to build a fortress around this hurt. Um, and I was determined that she would find love and learn not that anything that happened was okay or that her reaction to her father, because she has a very angry reaction to her father. Um, and it's, some, yeah. it's something that, um, you know, in early reader reviews, sometimes, you know, it's not something that everyone understands really. But I was determined that this woman, Lee Stone, this character would learn to find peace with that, if not forgive or accept that kind of original wound. Um, mm -hmm. so I think writing this book was therapy for me. So it's really nice to hear that, uh, you know, it felt that that was conveyed in the book. Um, and I think if I, I know I'm rambling a little bit here right now, but I just, in so many romances, which is a genre that I love very deeply and, and turn to and, and read so much, but in so many, I think the characters, especially the, the protagonists, you know, the, um, are so lovable. And even if they have already, you know, and even if they have things that they're struggling with, um, they're, they're not like the deep, deep wounds that I, for whatever reason, look for in my, the protagonists that I read and write. And I just wanted to write someone with a deep wound um, who got love, who, who found love, not despite of it, but because of it.
I like I really get like emotional like thinking about it. But I was once on the path that like Lee was on. So for me, I it made me be like, I'm so happy I went to therapy when I did and started trying to like turn things around. But I always say like none of my close friends have lived through what I did. And I say I would never want them to know what it feels like. But sometimes when you're like venting, like they don't get it. And I, you pulled it off so well in this book that I want to be like, read this book. And like, that's a bit of what it feels like. So thank you for that. And kind of like, I feel seen by like my trauma has been seen in this like romance book, which we're going to stop being sad now because there's so much fun in this book. I was laughing out loud as well and like smiling so much. So um, a huge point in this book is politics. And I didn't realize how heavily it would be in the book. And I, it was like my favorite part of it. I obviously loved the couple and I shipped them so much, but it was so much fun to, first of all, for me to learn about exactly how much goes into getting a bill passed and trying to get like these senators on board and all. So and specifically Texas politics because I'm born and raised from New York. So that's very like different world for me. So can you just like talk through this a bit? Yes. So I, um, full disclosure, while I might, I'm now a full-time writer, but um, my job before this and while I was writing Fool Me Once was essentially very similar to what Lee does. So I was a communications director for a nonprofit that really focused on policy reform. And so I know, like, (laughs) I definitely understand for a lot of romance readers hearing like, oh, set in a world of policy reform. It's like immediately eyes glaze over and you're like, oh, why do I want to read about that? But I'm telling you the world, this world is, is bananas. And there's so much wildness that goes on at like in the process of anything in the political world, but especially the monumental task of getting bills passed. And so I had for five years, this inside view into all the machinations and the personalities and the just like, like shenanigans that go on. And so I knew, and I felt very convinced that this was a wild world that could be the world of, of a comedy, like, um, like fool me once. And so I also (laughs) just had this like conviction that I wanted to write like a very politically engaged woman. And so obviously like everything is politics, um, love is politics, being a woman in the world, you can't really escape the fact that your existence is political. And Mm -hmm. so I just have always had this idea that these the world of politics and and like the world of love are just very deeply intertwined. And so for Lee, they literally are. Um, And I just drew on, I will, I probably am not even allowed to say like the reality (laughs) moments of reality, like things I actually experienced that I put in the book. Um, But I, there's so much real, (laughs) real bananas stuff from the world of of especially Texas politics. And essentially this book is also functioning as a love letter to all of the blue um, cities and the Democrats in Texas, because we do exist. And it is um, talk about a unrequited love you know relationship is being a a 
progressive, politically progressive person in a red state. Um, but from my work in politics, I knew just how many people were working so hard to pass good bills and to change things in Texas. Um, and I was very influenced by red, white, and royal blue and oh. the, the cathartic politics of Casey McQuiston's book. And I remember I actually finished that book sitting on an airplane to like pulling in, uh, sitting on, yeah, sitting on an airplane, pulling into DC where I was off to, you know, arriving to do some, some political work. And I was just sobbing um, towards the end of that book where you have this really lovely political moment. And I, I knew in my heart that I wanted to write a book with cathartic politics where, yeah, it's a little bit of an alternative reality, but, mm -hmm. you know, essentially give all the hardworking progressives in Texas a win through this book. Oh, I loved when, like, so Ben had left Texas to move to California and then he comes back and it's his dream to see Texas turn blue. And like, I... I guess after seeing what happened in Georgia too, and like the 2020 election, it was just like, it didn't feel maybe that far off. And it, it I felt so inspired reading it. Um, and I was going to ask this a bit later, but without spoiling the end of this book, I was crying for like that reason. Like I felt so hopeful and I was so happy about what was going on. And it made me positive about like life and politics. Um, even though I'm, in this like perpetually blue state. So did you, without saying, was that always the plan or did that kind of happen as you wrote? The, the ending I knew, um, I always do this with my books is I, I know the beginning and the end and the middle is a great big question ah. mark. I don't know how I'm going to get there, like get from, from point A to point B, but I always go into a book with a really clear vision of the end and so I knew based on the kind of woman that Lee is and the things that are important to her, this is me dancing around. Um, I know, it's so hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Um, I hope to one day be, be good at this, but because of um, who Lee is and the things that are really important to her, I knew and, and the fact that I wanted her to find love for herself first, um, and love and peace with her family and peace with the world. And then as a bonus, like love with Ben, like love mm -hmm. with this, this other person, I knew that I wanted it to end the way that it ended. And I was also determined that to, to show a relationship where there's, there's no, yeah, there's compromise, but Ben and Lee genuinely love each other for who they are. And appreciate each other like flaws foibles and everything and believe in each other um and that to me is the most romantic thing you know when a partner comes to you is like i see you exactly for who you are and i want to like commit to you and support you so yes both it, it made sense i guess really personally for the character um and also just being this kind of political world i just wanted to live in yeah, no, I loved it. I was like, oh, duh. Like, of course, <laughs> this is what happens. Um, 
Okay, so we don't, I don't speak to many romance authors and I'm sure you know from like the book corner of the internet, like the romance tropes are a very big thing. There is a one bed scene in this book. (laughs) I actually was reading it on my lunch break sitting in my office and like everyone's walking by and I was like, I'm having a very important moment over here. Please leave me alone. (laughs) So if you had to assign like one trope to fool me once, which one do you think? I feel like there's maybe a few at play. Um, And then how did you decide like what, which things to include? I love that question so much. And also I'm just laughing because the trial and tribulation of being a romance reader is like getting (laughs) to a very good place in your book and just being like, um, okay, there are people around here. This is, yeah, it's weird. Um, Don't look over my shoulder, please. No one look at what I'm reading. Um, (laughs) So I, I would say second chance romance. It's probably the Mm. central trope. So this idea that, um, you know, a relationship that was dead in the water, you know, in the past actually has a new life and new spark. So it's definitely, it's got the one bed, it's got the enemies to lovers, you know, it's got a lot of different stuff going on, as you said, but think at its heart, it's about second chance. And the reason that, that is my favorite trope. It's the one that as a reader, I'm drawn to the most for the simple reason that I think it's like the most fraught trope. It comes with the most uh, built-in tension because what is more juicy than two people who have this like very fraught history being forced together or coming back together? Like, but actually I think you could say there's some second chance um, tropes in in my dreams. So okay, well <laughs> that relationship, I still think about. Like I I'm that. obsessed with that. So that's kind of why I knew too going into one of your romance books that I was gonna like ship the couple so much because I was shipping people in your thriller. Love that so much. Um, yes. Yeah, so clearly, I'm drawn to writing this thing, this trope, um, and I am drawn because like this a little bit, it, it's such a trope in my personal life. I know this is like, <laughs> I hope this isn't TMI, but uh, my husband and I met when we were in college at 18 and our entire life has been like, you know, a, a lovely roller coaster of getting together and breaking up and, and doing that over and over again until finally like getting together for good and forever. But I think like I am consistently drawn to the second chance trope just because I understand it so intimately. And the, I'm just endlessly fascinated by the, the idea of like someone having such a hold on your heart and your mind that even when you're not around them, even if it's been years, like when you encounter them again, things flaring to life as if it was just yesterday like the power of that that to me is just so deeply romantic um i also love angst so i think all of these (laughs) things are like fitting together but the thing that really sparked my imagination with fool me once is i think everyone has at least one relationship in their past where they look back at it and they think to themselves you know what like I, that did not end well. And that was really my fault. Like that, like looking back and and thinking to yourself, like I was not at my best 
when I was with that person and I can kind of admit that, you know, like, and, and also I wonder what would happen if I ever met that person again, me being like, you know, having moved on and grown. And so yeah. I, that was something that I wanted to explore with Fool Me Once. I loved also that when they are reunited, they pretend not to know each other. I was just like, oh, I love when that happens. I don't know why. Like, it's traumatic for the characters. It's so traumatic. Like, yes. Obsessed. <laughs> Good. You are that. I love also that. And, and ooh, what a burn for Lee too. Yeah. <laughs> um. So we've spoken a lot about Lee and now switching to Ben for a bit. I'm going to objectify this fictional character for one second. So I was picturing him I guess is my like type. And then you explain him as this like Clark Kent, like not Superman Clark Kent. And that's exactly what I was picturing. So I was already in love with him um, by that fake <laughs> image I gave him in my mind. And then getting to know him, like I feel like he's just become, he's on my list of favorite like book boyfriends to read about. So what goes into making a book boyfriend? Oh, I love that so much. Um, I, I actually worry about describing characters um, too specifically sometimes because I want the reader to just envision um, whomever and, and whatever they want. But I was like, oh, this, this, I just had such a clear vision of Ben from the start as being mm-hmm. Clark Kent like. So I, I would say what goes into, for me, writing a book boyfriend is what I'm really into is emotionally mature people. And so my book boyfriends, my book boyfriends, uh, (laughs) my characters, my, my love interests that I write. And I think this is true of in my dreams as well as fool me once are always foils for the main character are in some ways have, um, understand something um, about the way the world works or the way my protagonist works, um, that is something that she is having to learn for herself. Um, and not that I think that, you know, love interests necessarily like need to teach the protagonist anything, or there needs to be a didactic relationship, but simply because I think that it's often what happens in really good relationships is that even if you're dealing with a lot of insecurity yourself or maybe you don't see yourself a certain way the person you're in a relationship with sees you as you know for for who you are as this really like complex and wonderful person that they've fallen in love with and i think part of the romantic arc of the arc of romances that i love so much is the protagonist coming to not only see themselves the way that the people who love them see them, you know, because there's usually a gap, but also like truly feel that about themselves. Um, And I don't know if this is making sense whatsoever because it's so abstract, Um, but it's always when I'm doing the character development for a love interest, it's always kind of I always start with my protagonist and thinking about what she needs someone to feel and know about her that she doesn't feel and know about herself yet. And then those are always the seeds. And of course, you don't want, you know, your love and they need to be a full person with their own flaws and 
foibles, but that's always where I start is with that seed. I love that. And I, with Lee and Ben specifically, like they had this, they have their issues from the past, but I felt like Ben was kind of growing along with Lee and then they got to like grow together. Like it just felt very mature. Um, So speaking of your characters though, from both of your books, they feel so real to me. Like down to like the inner monologues. I think that's why I was laughing at some of the things. Cause I was just like, yeah, like this is what a person would be thinking. Um, so what goes into creating these like very realistic characters? Uh, love that. Thank you. I, I spend so much time before I draft on characters, um, on character development and getting to know my characters. Um, and I am a huge fan of this um, book called Story Genius by Lisa Cron. And it is a neuroscientist approach to developing characters. Um, oh. Yeah, I know, which sounds like, what? It's but very interesting. It, it is so fascinating. And I, I know it's a popular book among a lot of writers, but the essential thesis of the book, which I completely agree with, is that readers turn are are you know kind of addicted to stories uh turn to stories you know humans do because we want to be inside someone else's brain and it's kind of like an evolutionary instinct and desire that we've developed to watch things play out for other people and then have that inform our own decision making and and kind of growth and so the central argument of this book is you can spend spend the majority of your time developing your characters, thinking about your characters versus plot, because the plot will then arise organically out of who your characters are and what they need to do. And so that is a very different tack than a lot of what you're taught to do as a fiction writer, um, which is a lot of focus on plot and coming up with you know really tricky, intricate plots. Um, so that I take that approach and just spend before I start drafting weeks diving deep into Um, characters. Um, it, it's so cool to hear that because like the, the, your characters are the reason I think why your books stand out so much to me. So, um, okay. We've been talking about in my dreams, but I have to just bring it up again because it was one of my top books of 2021. Loved it so much. I was reading it on vacation and right away I just got that like feeling you got where you're like, I know I'm going to be obsessed with this book. And I was like ignoring my family. Like, don't speak to me. I'm having a moment here. I love that. Um, so can you just briefly, I know a bunch of our listeners have read it as well. Um, just tell us a bit about what went into writing that debut and then how, if at all, it influenced anything with Fool Me Once. Yeah, I so uh, that just like warms my heart so much to hear. I I have weirdly jumped genres with every subsequent book that I've written, and I I think that maybe it's like a finding my voice thing or like figuring out where I fit. But the first book that I wrote was a YA contemporary fantasy. It was the book I wrote before in my dreams, Um, and I spent years writing that book. I like figured out how to write fiction on that book um, and was also learned how to take a lot of epic rejection with that mm-hmm. book. 
So I struggled for a really long time um, to get agented, to get anyone to, frankly, like read anything that I'd written and, and know that I existed. And so I actually, in my dreams, started out as um, a way for me to channel the feelings of um, frustration and invisibility and um, my own kind of confrontation with failure and what it would mean to be just a mediocre person <laughs> who'd never <laughs> accomplished uh, dreams. And I know that sounds really harsh, but that, that was you know the kind of harsh inner monologue that I was grappling with at that point in my life. And I actually had a vision for Jessica during one of my most uh, my darkest hours, a really low point where I just received um, a lot of really, really um, epic and kind of core shaking rejection on that first book. And I was like, okay, I told myself, you know, I'm going to give myself 24 hours to feel my feelings, be in this kind of deep pit where, you know, I don't feel like this is ever going to work for me because I've been trying for 10 years to be published. And um, it was, it was quite a long time. And I was, you know, trying to convince myself to maybe let this go. And I said, one more night where you just, you're, you're in the dark place. And in the middle of it, I started to picture um, a woman who, instead of doing what I was telling myself was the mature thing of like grappling, accepting, moving on, she refused to do that and would do whatever it took and wait however long it took to reorder the world um, and to, to ensure that the world saw her and recognized her for the person she was convinced that she was. And that became, it was like just, just the, the, having the place to channel that, those feelings became so therapeutic for me and so necessary for me at that point in time. And I wrote dream, in my dreams, I hold a knife, like in a fever dream, in a fugue state. I've never written another book like that with that same experience wow. where I, I felt like I was just confessing, pouring words on the page. So I wrote it really quickly. Um, and it was a very different experience than writing um, Fool Me Once because, um, you know, Fool Me Once is a, a comedy. And it turns out that it's actually a lot harder <laughs> to write comedy than it is, at least for me, than to write thrillers. Because I feel like thrillers, there's a certain allowance you can um, explore darkness, explore emotion. And of course, you have to be able to have a critical distance from that, especially later in the editing stage. But comedy requires such a critical distance at all times because it's such a hard thing to get to translate from your mind onto the page and then to other readers. So writing Fool Me Once actually took me a really long time. And it was kind of a painstaking process as opposed to like dreams just pouring out. Um, Yeah, I don't, (laughs) sorry, I just went to, I don't know if I answered your question. Well, it's so... I think everyone like faces rejection and things like that. And it's like, 
and it makes me feel hopeful that then out of that low moment came in my dreams and now fool me once and now like you have very quickly become one of my favorite authors and I know that like a lot of our listeners and a lot of like my followers on bookstagram feel the same way so I'm so happy for you that it worked out like that. Thank you so much. Um, I that means the world, and I think that um, I dreams was like the fe- if dreams is like the fever dream of like of just pouring out the hard feelings of rejection. Fool me once. This is weird to say, but it's like the next next natural evolution, like step in the evolution of stepping back mm-hmm. because Lee is also rejected over and over and over again but she has a very different response to it than jessica does and i think they're both messy complicated women who um, one lives in a dark place and one lives in a in a comedy because of the different responses they have so i think part of that is me (laughs) learning to like evolve in my response yeah okay so your next book is a thriller correct yep Is there anything you can tell us about that? Yes. So my next book um, is out. It's called The Last Housewife. It's out August 16th. And this is my like thing that I'm doing, jumping genre to genre with every... Well, I was going to ask, will romance (laughs) be next? Yes. um, Oh my God. Okay. I'm so excited about that. And I, 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 I wish I could tell you so much about the romance. I don't know what I am. But it, I'm not allowed to tell you, but I think I can tell you that it is a companion piece to Fool Me Once. So it's in the same oh my world. God. Yes. Okay. Um, but back to the thriller um, that is coming out. So The Last Housewife um, is, I'm describing it as a dark academia revenge, cult revenge thriller, which I know is... I'm sold. Okay, good. Because I'm like, <laughs> does that make sense when I say that? Um, but essentially it takes the kind of dark academic world of in my dreams i hold a knife and just launches that into a banana stratosphere um so not only did i need a place of sunshine to to go in the pandemic but then of course the other half of me was like i also want to read about weird terrible cults and you know all the (laughs) all the dark stuff so i fell down a nexium and sarah lawrence sex cult rabbit hole where I just devoured everything I could about these stories. Um, and I became so obsessed and fascinated by how you go from a quote unquote normal adjusted person, which if maybe there's no such thing. So that's why it gets mm-hmm. like the air quotes. Um, but how, how you go from that to essentially being pulled into and inculcated in a patriarchal sex cult essentially is what all of these things are at bottom um how you go like what the psychological process looks like of slowly handing over your will to another person and then how do you ever come back from that um and so that's just like the place where the last housewife starts essentially (laughs) and then goes wild from there um, I hate that I have to wait until August, but I know that I will probably save this for a day at the beach and just devour it on the beach, I'm which so that's my favorite way to like read a thriller. So I um, love that. I think it's reading murder. Out. Oh, I think they're, okay. I think they're going to be coming out soon ish, but uh, sorry, okay. I totally interrupted you. 
No, I was saying I'm big into reading murder at like the most relaxing setting possible. <laughs> I actually read in my dreams on the beach as well. Oh, I love that. Um, okay, so we like to end every episode by saying a book that's on our TBR. So is there anything you're reading now or anything you read recently that you're really excited about? Oh my gosh. So I'm currently reading Weather Girl by Rachel and oh, Solomon. I just bought that yesterday. Oh my gosh. This book is like a hug in a book form. It just, whatever I'm doing during the day, you know, whether it's hard or I, I just, I'm, it's like the kind of book where you think to yourself, but tonight you get to curl mm-hmm. up with Weather Girl. And it's like this beautiful, lovely, soft, cozy place that you get to go mentally. And so I'm just loving it so far. And I'm a huge Rachel Lynn Solomon fan. So this, uh, I'm loving it. I'm only about, I think, a third way through, but highly recommend. So excited for that one. Um, and I just realized we didn't say this, but Fool Me Once is out April Oh, yes. 5th. April 5th. Yep. Okay. Yeah. So everyone add that to your list. And where can our listeners find you on the internet? Okay. So I'm at, um, at Ashley Winstead books on Instagram. And that's t- where I tend to spend my time, but also at Ashley Winstead on Twitter and ashleywinstead.com is my website. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I have loved chatting with you. I feel like I could have done this all day. So oh, thank you too. for being here. Thank you so much. This is such a blast. I love talking to you. 